0: Peace, peace, peace. I am Philip Raucher and you are tuned into episode 52 of Hashtag You Good Man. I know it's been a minute, but for those who've been keeping up with me, you know I've been recording my brand new live daily digital show, Rhetorically Speaking, which you can catch Monday through Thursday at 8 p.m. on the Quantify LLC YouTube channel. So in this episode of hashtag you good, man, I had the privilege of being joined by several brothers and we discussed Michael Jordan's the last dance in particular, we discussed what greatness looks like. So yeah, listen, make sure you subscribe. We want to hear your comments and just give your thoughts on, on whether you agree with me. I know you do. So enjoy the listen. Good brother, master's level social worker, Temple university, graduate Michael O'Nick in the building. In the bottom right-hand corner, we have our resident Negro professional dancer, Zane. Salute to you, Zane. Underneath Michael, and we didn't do this intentionally, right? We want to have the white guys <laughs> one top of the other. We didn't. We didn't do that, <laughs> you know. Uh, but we got we got the good brother. He's a lyricist. He is the University of Penn strength and conditioning coach. We have Mister Stephen Brindle in the building. And last but not least. We have the, the the infamous one. Now that's not Moses, who you saying? right? That's that's not, but he the Moses of Philadelphia, right? Not Moses Malone, but Mr. Greg Corbin, uh just philanthropist, um negro scholar. I'm trying to think of what Chappelle said. <laughs> what Chappelle said on the intro of that uh Talib Kwali album. He didn't he the N-word that invented the Nike swoosh, you know what I mean? <laughs> we got Greg Corbin in the building. So salute to you all, man. Thanks for joining me today. Peace, peace. Thanks for having me No doubt, no doubt. So this conversation, we're going to jump right into it, man. I don't know if you all have been watching The Last Dance, which is chronicling Michael Jordan's last season with the Chicago Bulls, that 1998 season where he won his sixth championship. Um, But there's been a lot of conversation about who Michael Jordan truly is. And I think this is the first real insight that we've, been able to have into just who he is outside of, of being a basketball player, but who he is as the man on, on the last episode, he, you know, they really showed him and just the emotions related to the death of his father, uh, James Jordan, who was tragically killed going on about 26 or so years ago. And, you know, he was very open about it. It was probably one of the driving forces as to why he left basketball and, and so with me watching that, you know, I empathize with them. I, I saw the trauma that he experienced, but I also saw an asshole. And I know my mama might be watching mama. I meant to say that, you know, so don't text me afterwards. Like you usually do like watch your mouth, baby. But what I saw was I saw this asshole who was super mean to people. I know we laud him for his greatness on the basketball court and and more importantly for the success that he had on the basketball court. But what I saw was somebody that didn't know how to engage with people. And so it had me um, think about what does greatness entail, especially when we talk about individual greatness. Can it uh, this idea of greatness? Do you have to be an asshole? Do you have to be a jerk in order to reach the pinnacle of, of individual greatness within your respective field? And so listen, I want to throw that out to you, brothers. If you've watched the doc, just to get your thoughts um on that, and then just on the idea of greatness in itself.
1: So we'll, we'll start with we, we can start with you, cop. Um so is is. You know, obviously in the era that we're in where it's just so much information um when we grew up and we kind of like fell in love with Mike or we 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 put him on the pedestal that he's on, we didn't know all this information. We just knew what we saw, right? Just as um as fans, it was just like, oh yeah, he's winning, you know, he's got all these he's got all these uh these accolades. So he's got to be a good guy. Um but I remember, you know, as I started to mature and I started to become a man, and you know, you started to hear certain things. You were just like, "Oh yeah, that's that's that doesn't sound like really, you know, the the type of person that I would be, or the type of person I would even classify myself as." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's important to just kind of like keep people. Um, how, I, I want to say this, but not. It, I remember what Wichicom did, he had like in his 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 comedy sketch, it's kind of funny, you were you were uh, referencing David Chappelle just then, but in one of his comedy sketches, he was like, yeah, hey, when the world is ending, I don't really care what Ja Rule said. He, he was like, yeah, don't, don't, save me, Ja, whatever, right? Yeah. Like, you're an entertainer, you know? and And I think that we kind of like put him in a particular place that just wasn't, what he was supposed to be it was like okay you're on the court you're a great basketball player and that's it and he he gave us a whole lot of reminders like you know um like the the, the um uh, the, uh, when he wouldn't endorse the uh the candidate which was something i totally forgot about i yeah. do remember i do remember the stuff about the 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 um what was it i don't know about my sneakers yeah, 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 yeah. I do remember the line, but I forgot kind of like the context from which, it, from which, you know, obviously the line was said, was but um, I think, you know, we have, we have a proclivity to kind of like do that, where it's just like, oh, okay, this person is, you know, this person excels in this one particular area. And then we think that they automatically have to be uh, Excel period, or just be awesome period like nah he's a great basketball player he won a lot of championships that's it but you know yeah yeah
0: any anybody else just give their their thoughts on on jordan if you haven't seen the series um and then on the last dance if you have
2: i mean i haven't seen the series i don't have cable I'm guessing this is on ESPN or something, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: You know <laughs> what? It's actually on on uh, Netflix too. I don't know if you have Netflix. Uh,
2: okay, I got. I do have the Netflix. I'll have to check it out then on there. But just speaking to like the idea of greatness, I think greatness in sport is kind of different than greatness in life necessarily. Hmm. I think typically, like we we, there's something about sport that calls on us to look for like. That killer out there, we want someone that puts on blinders and just puts everything they have into their craft, but they do because they're a public figure, I mean, I think Jordan would have really struggled today because he didn't have any duality to him being a public figure, like he was like, "This is my thing i'm a I'm an amazing basketball player, and that's what I do, but as far as like speaking to like societal things that are going on he he had his mind on his business, and that was it. Yeah. So I think he would have really struggled. And I mean, look at somebody like Le- LeBron who gets trashed all the time from both sides of the aisle, even though he is great in our DNA. And, and he actually approaches like societal type stuff. Uh, so I just think that, yeah, was he kind of like a, a shitty dude? <laughs> kind of, man. But he that's what I think when you asked, do we have to – be an asshole to achieve a certain amount of greatness. Sometimes you have to at least separate yourself from the herd if you're really going to reach that next level of great. And I think that does in some cases lead us to cutting people off or being kind of cold and detached. And I think that's kind of like the cost you pay for that kind of greatness. Yeah.
1: There's, um, so one of the, there's a, there's a leadership, there's a leadership style that is, uh, that's something that I'm I, I kind of like lean into, um, which is like a servant leadership style, right? Um, and it creates one of the things, um, as I was doing like some studies, they they kind of have like they have this imagery, right? Where I think it's like a wolf pack or something, some type of like wild animal. And, you know, it's a bunch of them, they're like crossing, like I guess, some type of like frozen tundra type of thing or something. And the picture shows like the, one of the, whatever, wild animals or whatever, it's like a pack of them. And then there's one in the back. And then they said that this is the actual leader of the pack, right? So I think when we look at Jordan, right? And we look at that whole era, cause a lot of them kind of like felt like that. Like you had Charles Barkley actually say, I'm not a role model, right? Yeah. But let's look at like prior, the the decade prior to that, your Kareem Lou Alcindor or Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, right? Um, Jim Brown, uh, Bill Russell, like, so these guys had like a a point of reference, right? To be like, oh, okay, this is, it's like, like you said, they made the decision, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to remove myself. You know for whatever reason maybe it was to quote unquote appeal to a larger audience maybe it was you know i don't i don't know i don't know what the reason was but those guys they had a reference they were able to kind of just like follow the blueprint right you know um
0: and and so i want to say like like with this conversation i haven't formulated any questions you know what i mean this is just like us sitting around with no cameras, nobody watching and just being real and having honest conversations. So feel free again to jump in and and speak your truth, because I know, again, like I said, I've been getting skewered uh, from people just based on my opinion of, of Mike. And I to, to sum it up, it was just this idea of, you know, we celebrate him for the end. Right. And the end being the championships and him being the greatest of all time. But when I look at the means that it took for him to get there, not the attributes that we all love, right? Like the, 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 you know, the staying late to, to practice, uh, you know, we saw that throughout the, um, you know, throughout the, the documentary, um, him being tough on, tough on people. But I, I just looked at it as he crossed boundary a lot of times right so with him punching steve kerr in his face and and zane and i was talking about this in the group that we just had there was in listening steve kerr tell the story about getting punched in the eye by michael jordan there was a certain romanticization of that experience and we tend to do that so much so we romanticize how uh you know how (laughs) How passionate, quote unquote, passionate he was—the desire that he had—and we use those those cold words to cover up for. You are an asshole. You cross boundaries. You are very uh, disrespectful to people as human beings, right? In order to achieve this goal, and so when I think about the just this idea of greatness, I I I had to take a step back and start thinking about just different people, right? Uh, Who we who we deem great, and is this just a common trait? that exist among all of them. And so, again, I, I don't have the answer to that, right? Like I look at Barack Obama and I'm like, in the eyes of everybody, he's great, but I look at him as being like an anomaly, right? To to this idea of celebrity. And so, again, you feel free to to comment on that, give your thoughts on, on MJ in the documentary. We so, Oh, go ahead, Greg, go ahead. So this is like, this is my thinking.
3: Y'all hear me clearly, right? hmm Right. So, so language dictates culture because people hear language and then they respond to that language based on how they define it. And then they act it out. They project it. They ask people, why aren't you involved with the same social norms and social agreements that I'm involved with, right? So what I'm thinking um, just off of the bat is who defines greatness, Right. And is that coming from a Eurocentric point of view, right? A very individual point of view, or is it based on community, right? We may celebrate the end when Jordan gets his team to win a championship so it pulls the best out of people, even if it deems to be abusive, right? I think what's interesting is this is a generational thing as well, right? If you think about Bobby Knight and Michael Jordan, they saw eye to eye in a lot of ways. They both had fierce com- competitive rage almost. And if you've seen the Bobby Knight 30 for 30, you're like, yo, Bobby Knight was out of his mind. Yeah. And, and people want their, they want their savior. Like the camp is legit that when they were firing him, the kids protested, don't let Bobby Knight go. It was that much emotional rage built around this man who was throwing chairs across the basketball court for years, who was pushing players, who probably fought coaches. You know what I mean? So when I think about Jordan, I'm just thinking about in what eyes are we talking about greatness? Yes. Yes, he was ambitious. Yes, I played with players like Jordan. Yes, I probably was that player maybe four or five games out of my career that was a jerk and getting on somebody too hard as if I wasn't demoralizing them because this is what we were taught. And so we cannot ignore what people are conditioned to do and what they internalize, but we also can't get them to escape responsibility for doing that. Now, what I will say is there are a lot of, you have Arthur Ashe, you know, there were a lot of players who were humanitarians and philanthropists, right? And the one thing Jordan made clear was like, yeah, I didn't publicly support him but I did financially support the Democrat that was running in North Carolina. But the one thing that was clear was, it seemed like Michael Jordan understand brand recognition better than most athletes at an earlier age than anybody. Yeah. I mean, the dude would not cross certain boundaries, but when the cameras were not rolling, then it became certain dynamics start to play out. So I don't wanna like say too much too fast in this conversation, um, but I think we have to explore who is defining what greatness looks like? Because a lot of people in today's society think greatness is a million followers on social media and you doing your thing. But in reality, your house ain't put together. You can't hold a relationship. You ain't got X, Y, and Z. So it's this smoke and mirrors game that America teaches us how to play. And now we have all these cameras, and Michael Jordan's in a position to control the narrative and yeah. the He wants to tell it. And that's why we're starting to hear it.
0: Yeah, word, Stephen. I, I want to get to you, Steve, because you, you know, you work with athletes uh on a daily basis, right? As a as a strength and conditioning coach at a at a Division one college. So, what has your experience just been when we talk about this idea of of athletes, their desire to attain greatness, and how that impacts how they're showing up? Um with regards to their relationship with others, with relationship to themselves, and relationship with just the coaching staff?
4: Yeah, I have some thoughts on that. Uh, Just to give you a quick backdrop, yeah, I've been working with Division I basketball players now for close to 13 years. Spent some time at Temple and then Pitt, and then I've been at Penn for a while. My primary responsibility is the men's basketball team. I'm on the road with them. I'm at every practice. I'm at every game. I'm in the film room with them. I eat meals with them. Um, we have a group chat and we're, you know, where we're discussing some of these things. Um, we have a sports psychologist on staff and he'll meet with us regularly, even now still through uh, through Zoom. And we're having discussions uh, about tough, tough issues often. Um, and so I'm around athletes all the time, every single day. Um, I was never like an exceptional athlete I know Phil I know you uh from from powerlifting which I've been successful with that but yeah, I was just a okay uh high school player um and high school basketball player but but now I've been able to excel with strength and conditioning and helping to to lead and guide these athletes but when when I'm watching the, I've watched every episode um I'm glued to the TV and I had like I I think um what I what I messaged you earlier was like that I would say there's a certain level that greatness had that Jordan had with his, his leadership abilities. He was, I would actually look at him as a, as a good leader in his eyes, he was doing it the way that he thought it needed to be done. But I don't think we can excuse how you treat others when, like you said, Phil, like crossing certain lines, certain boundaries, like you just sock a teammate in the mouth or you're completely demoralizing. Like, I think there's a certain aspect in which, as a leader, um, as Michael said, you have to separate yourself from others. And sometimes it's going to lead to some loneliness and you're kind of like separate because you're so elite. And you have this driving passion and you have this driving competitiveness and you want others to obtain that. You want others to achieve what you want to achieve. And in his mind, he thought the only way was to be this jerk who's cussing them out and, and maybe physical with them at times, which I don't think that's the only way. In his mind, that's what he thought was the way to get it accomplished because I think you have to, if a team is going to be successful, the best teams I've been around, and I've been around some good championship teams, um, they hold each other accountable. Uh, They hold each other accountable. There's discipline. There's standards that are set. Even for myself and my coaching, I'm I'm big on attention to detail. I'm big on showing up on time. I'm big on doing the little things right. Uh, Do the little things right, then you're going to do the big things right when it's like a big game or whatever. And yeah. so I think you have to hold others to standards. You have to set standards, hold others to those standards. There needs to be discipline. There needs to be accountability. And to me, the best model of that, that I've seen is Tony Dungy. And I've read all his books. Um, you know, the Hall of Fame coach who was with the Colts and with the Bucks. Yeah. And the, the way that he did it was through meekness. It wasn't through being a tyrant. It was through letting his, he was strong willed. He had his beliefs. He had his lessons. He conveyed those to his athletes, but he was a man of faith and he didn't have to cuss out athletes or do anything like that. So I I do respect MJ for that fire and that passion. And it's easy for us to sit back. And I I do think he made some mistakes, but in his mind, he was doing it. What he thought was the, was the best way. Yeah. I think people followed suit. Like even you see Will Purdue, he was like, yo, it worked. Like we want, he wanted us to win and it worked. (laughs)
0: Yeah, you know, and and I I appreciate that perspective. No, no doubt. Um, You know, to to shoot him, show him some grace. Right. He he did say that his his brother Larry was that way towards him. Right. -hmm. Like he was very in your face, aggressive, physically aggressive. And Mike, in order to survive in that that sibling relationship, he had to adopt that personality. Uh, so, you know, again, and I think Greg talked about it, this idea of learned behavior. Right. Because that's exactly what it is. I, However. Right. And I, I would still give Mike a pass if in reflection he would be able to say, yo, I wish I could do it over again. Right. But he doesn't have that level of self-awareness. I think it manifested itself. It showed itself at the Hall of Fame speech where he was coming at the ninth – the boy that took his spot on the when the freshman team, like, he brought him to the Hall of Fame speech to embarrass him, right? Like, we laugh at it, but it's just, like, it's nuts. Like, him yeah. talking about his kids, and it had me wondering, did Mike – does mike have any friends number one does he have any strong relationships we know about him and charles barkley how he stopped being friends with charles and charles is literally hurt by it like every time you talk about it charles is hurt because he criticized him as an owner right so he can't even take the criticism that he's doling out especially when it's being doled out in love like i always tell people and we want to get your thoughts zane um i always tell people like I started reading the Jordan rules. It came out probably about 91, 92. And I only started reading it because, you know, I listened to Bomani Jones and they have a little book club they doing. And I'm sitting here looking at this documentary, like, yo, this is bullsh. Like y'all have no idea what this man was doing. And he's going to, he controls the narrative, right? Like it's, he, it doesn't have when Bill Cartwright told him, yo, if you, if you phase me out the game, you'll never play basketball again. Cause I'm gonna take you out. Right. It doesn't have him in the arguments with Horace Grant and him calling Horace Grant stupid and illiterate and and just saying all these things to him. And so, uh, you know, it just has me thinking, like, I don't think the world really knows some of the details because I don't think they really want to know. I think you said it, Cobb. You don't really want to know, truly know about your favorite athlete. Like you don't want to know A.I. is had his wife outside. Right. You just want to know A.I. is partying in hula hands and he go play ball. You don't want to know the negative about you, uh, about the athletes that you look up to, because then they'll have you questioning, you know, who you are, why you do. Why should you look up to them, and should you? You know, what I mean, so what's your thoughts? eh? So my first thought is I'm I'm
5: not sure that that's true, because and I'm only saying this, I'm saying people respect violent behavior.
3: Hmm.
5: people respect violence, And I'm not saying I agree with that, but we live in a society where a president gets elected because he has a violent streak, right? So you can't say that at least 50% of Americans don't laud power. Yeah. Now what do we do with that? And that power is v- the power of violence. It's there's no other way to walk around that. So to say that in a lot of people's eyes, they were separating his talent from his personality. No, they liked, and I'm not a sports person, but I'm listening to this conversation. I'm saying they liked the fact that he was that kind of person. That solidified what what they thought of his manhood is, right? And then I, I'm not sure where I, we had this kind of, where I, I read this, but it might have been my old director that just published a letter on his webpage, his name is Yuri Killian. I think I could be misquoting this person, but they were saying, he was saying, he goes through all of these bullet points about how we need to become better people. And he says, let the warriors be the sportsmen and not fight real wars, because that's really what, what where we've transferred to a certain degree, the, the violent behavior that we can't really portray in society. We can't really, you know, if you're going to be a good human being, you're not trying to be violent. You're trying to work towards something else. Most of us are not doing that. But if we're saying that we're trying to be good human beings, we're not trying to be violent. But in the sports arena, you have a past in that space, right? Yeah. So how do you truncate, how do you compartmentalize that behavior from what society allows them to do, right? He was being everything that he thought he should be. And you can't you can't neglect that 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 personal relationship with his brother is how he survived those were his survival tools that yeah. was the first thing he learned those were the first tools he learned how to survive which was greg was saying that's how he learned he learned that in the home so and all of us do that we take those tools and we don't change them until we figure out something different until somebody says something or we get enlightened in some some area or some moment that we that we have to turn around and look, or if we go into therapy right, or if we go into therapy and start self examining so i think I think if we're talking about greatness he the 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 part of him that I think you're criticizing was his humanity, but what what maybe we can learn from him is like he never he 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 became drunk on that. And he never had what what is tragic is that he didn't have somebody who could could face him and and sort of break that and unlock that. And that if he's still being that way today, like there was nobody in his life that could 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 turn him around, that could open that up and show him something. You know what I mean? That's what I find like interesting. Like we could be an asshole. We could be the biggest assholes. But somebody has to be able to say, look, that shit that you're doing is fucked up. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, sorry. So, no, no.
0: Sorry. Listen, man. My, sorry, mom. Uh, but Zayn is <laughs> Zayn an adult? uh No, I, I think you bring up a great point when we talk about you know we talk about accountability, right? When you, he was the greatest player, right? He went into a situation in Chicago, which was a, a you know relatively bad sports town at that point in time. When he got there, he come in and takes the league by storm, right? So he's the best thing since pants were pockets, right? And so. He doesn't have to answer to anybody, right? Who's going to be able to check him? And the way he views it, if you're not on par skill wise, then you cannot say anything to me, right? And so the the way that you get my respect is you have to literally be in the in the trenches with me. You have to be equally as violent, equally as dirty in order to to get there. Like I, I remember reading, like Stacey King. Like hated Stacey King. Like Stacey King's super soft, right? But this guy, who was his name, Neely, Joe, or Greg Neely, something like that, right? He wasn't the best player on the team. Might be the worst player on the team, but he was out there grinding with him, right? He was physical. He did the dirty work, and he did his job. And I and I think, um, you know, when we talk about that that uh, that accountability piece, part of that. The reason why it wasn't there is because, again, you didn't have strong leadership from anybody else. So, And I think also
5: if you follow the war analogy through, you know, you don't want somebody who's going to blink. Because in your mind, like when I watch when I watch Brothers... Brothers allow themselves to do things in sports that they don't, you know, you see folks crying, you see folks hugging, you see physicality that you never see outside of the sports world that is, you know, restricted. Like the passion that's involved in professional sports at any level of sports from an outsider looking in is like it's like war. You know what I mean? It's like so you're going to follow a a warrior in
0: the war. Yeah. Go ahead, Mike. I know you want to say something.
2: Yeah, because I, I think that's kind of like when Zane first said warrior, it right away set something off in my head because, listen, on the court, on the field, whatever the sports thing is, you are in the trenches. You do want someone that is unflinching. And when we say that there's other ways he could have led, I don't think there are because that is who he is. That was his leadership style. That is what He knew. If he tried to come at it in like a, in a meeker, like uh, pulling everybody together and being more communicative and not being so sharp, that wouldn't have been him. And uh, I, I actually I want to read something real quick. It's a quick line and it hits right. on this. And it's uh, the conquerors are merely those among men who are conscious enough of their strength to be sure of living constantly on those heights and fully aware of that grandeur. It is a question of arithmetic, of more or less. The conquerors are capable of more. So Jordan was in this space where he, he was so aware of how good he was and what he was capable of, that he had that drive, he had that fire, that he expected it was either like you're with me or you're getting out of my way. And I think we got to allow him to have that like kind of hold both things like allow him to be that person he was on the court and not hold him to certain other standards because he didn't want them you know yeah. what i mean like yeah. why do we have to why does every, why does a person have to be all things to all people
0: i agree like he wanted he wanted to chime in on that i got something to say about that too go ahead greg
3: i think first of all just great points everybody's making some powerful powerful points um we live it like, like, like taking the context, right? The context is generation by generation, things slightly get better. And I think Zane, you just mentioned about survivability and the skill sets that we get from our parents and how we're raised. They're in some ways doing what it takes so that we can become older. We get the privilege to go back and be like, hey, you did this wrong and that was insensitive and this is wrong and that's not redeemable. The reality is this, we live in this time now where everybody can pull up people's receipts and demolish them for not using the sense of discernment that they would swear they would have used in the same dynamic, and the same idea. You're not these people. And honestly, it really is challenging because it's called the Puritan culture where people want the perfect person, but it's always the people who are probably just as jacked up requesting of the behavior. And so that's something to take into account. And I think just it's not reality. Like, here we are Holding in some ways, holding people on trial in 2020 because they didn't behave the way 2020 wants somebody to behave when that wasn't like it was 1996. Yeah, that's what we're talking about. We can. There's plenty of players who are like Jordan. They just didn't win, and maybe to your point, Zayn, they weren't violent enough. Right? They didn't represent the Roman gladiator mentality enough. Right? We don't remember Hakeem Olajuwon. But he was one of the greatest players, soft spoken, educated, very, very discerned, was about his business just like Jordan, different type of intensity. Right? When well, you forget those two years when Houston went back to back because Jordan was gone. Right? Like we talking about the whole story. Let's talk about what came be for Jordan. The ABA collapsed, and then a lot of superstars like David Thompson and Dr. J went into the NBA right so people were just starting to get a nuanced understanding of what business was as it was to be an athlete like people weren't thinking about multi i mean think about it jordan in his last two years got paid over 30 million dollars per year i still remember it being unheard of to see somebody get paid 36 million dollars yeah he knew his worth he knew his value and you know i don't agree with everything he said in this in this documentary at all but i'm also to michael's point i'm never going to be jordan I'm never going to be Michael Jordan with Michael Jordan DNA in 1996, 1992, 1988. It's impossible. This yeah. is life. Now what we can do is we can learn and we can say, there's some wisdom here, but I have to, I have some respect for that, man. Cause he was like, listen, if if you don't agree with the way I did things, you, you ain't got to follow me.
0: See, I, I think that's, I think that's,
3: that's, difficult, like,
0: that's difficult though, man. That's, that's difficult because It's just like, you know, when we talk about pro sports, like getting up and leaving is just not an option for some people. Right. Like whether you get drafted to that team, uh, you know, B.J. Armstrong, Hart, like Horace Grant. He's a perfect example. Like he and Mike have an awful relationship. Right. Uh, Horace was drafted there. He can't just pick up and leave. But when he had the opportunity to, he did. Right. He left for, for Orlando solely because of how Mike treated him. And so, you know, I think in the team atmosphere, especially when we put the the term leader out there, I think maybe that's where I yeah. have an issue with, um, because I think a lot of people are uh, making winning synonymous with being a good leader, right? And mm. that's not, mm. and I see that a lot, right? Like he was a great leader, he led them to victory. A great necessarily is mean the word
5: though. Effective was he an effective leader?
2: and the other thing was a he, leader he, in sports too it's yeah, not a and leader right
5: right and i'm not and i'm not negating your point but i'm saying when you do, so define great do you mean was 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 he an ethically responsible leader nah right <laughs> so was his morality like 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 gregg was saying you know what i mean are we looking at it in a way you're looking through a mental health lens right so when you look back through a mental health lens, you can Id- identify certain things which bother you. And
0: I can right? say, I can admit to that. Like, it's, and it's difficult to take that hat off. You know, when right. you're watching these things and you're reading these things, it's you know, it can be difficult at times.
5: And you shouldn't. But I think that I think you also have to have the conversation in a nuanced way. When you use the word "great," you you're not just saying was he a great great leader. Like some people look at it, they're saying, well, was he, was he an effective was he an effective leader? Yes. Did he have did he was his leadership style abusive yes so does that mean that he wasn't effective and he wasn't great you know what i mean what what how are we defining great i think the way you define great it, you're saying that if you're an abusive leader then your greatness diminishes in your eyes like that's the, that's a fair statement
0: yeah yeah go ahead kyle you great go ahead mike and then we go but
2: greatness, great greatness in sports when you say we're putting leadership on winning greatness in sports is winning like there right. there's no other way around it with yeah. greatness in sports it's, right. it's about achieving things that you go into a season wanting to achieve and like listen this is kind of goes back to what Zane said about like we appreciate like aggression listen I appreciate Tom Brady on the sidelines way more than I appreciated Donovan McNabb on the sidelines, smiling and laughing when Tom Brady grabbing his guy by the face mask and going off and being like, you got to get in the game. So, like, we have to we, we can't look at it in the span of anything besides sports.
0: I'm, I'm glad you brought that up, Mike, uh, just because, you know, we were having this discussion about um how it's being perceived right The the style of leadership we know with tom brady when he did that we know how he was lauded he's an amazing an amazing leader he's he's uh the best thing since pants pockets and then odell beckham does it it's the same exact thing and he's looked at as being a cancer and problematic and we understand you know you know the the role that race plays you know the construct of race plays in that and, and what have you um so I just thought that was, you know, interesting because I think you know Tom Brady gets a pass um, that Jordan right now and throughout his career didn't necessarily get, even though I think Jordan got passes. If that if that makes sense,
5: uh, help.
1: I was going Can to you, say, why'd you say help? yeah he yeah. <laughs> <'Cause Bill laughs>
2: lost
1: me he lost me you, you said, no, I mean, that, was, that was a very <laughs> weird statement to say I so, so i mean
0: so you had the white man doing one thing then you had the black man doing something else right and we, right. Not, we understand how you know why that is the way that is and you know how drew was skewered it was just me pointing out the obvious no, That's but
5: so. you were he got a pass on some things, and then you said he got a—he didn't no, get a pass.
0: So in, in, the, in the grand scheme of things, he didn't get skewered all like that, right? Because he got a pass because he won. Right. But ultimately, he did get his feet held to the fire at, at various times for, for various behaviors that were unbecoming of one would call a professional. Okay.
3: So here's your question. I got two questions. Two questions. Here you go. If anybody... On this team of Chicago Bulls, sucker punches Michael Jordan. They just hit it. They just blew. They blew a gasket. Do they get traded the next day?
0: Oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt.
3: Okay, so that's one. That says one thing. That's an indicator that winning, unfortunately, in a capitalistic society, is more important than the healthy human beings. All right, that's one. Two. Here's another question for you. If what Michael Jordan was doing. To push people to do their best was being done in a corporate office, or a nonprofit, or a classroom. What would you call it?
1: Workplace har- harassment. Yeah, yeah, lawsuit. That's that's what we would
0: call it. But and it, and it brings up a point. We were having a conversation prior to this with some brothers, and it was just like these things are acceptable in the realm of sports. Um, you know, a lot of these. The, you know, we're talking about the violence, only not only the physical <laughs> violence, but the the, the verbal abuse that, that takes place, it's been normalized, you know, for centuries within this specific field. Um, and so that's the why, the reason why it continues to, to persist. Steve, what's that experience like um with those athletes at, you know, where you, where you've coached, right. Um, and you've coached, you know, it, we can keep it real. It's different tiers, of division 1 schools, right? Uh you know, you got your temples, you got your pits, and you got your pens. What what have you seen um just being in those different places when it when it comes to this idea of of coachability when it comes to this idea of um being a good teammate, uh sportsmanship. Has you have you seen any differences amongst these arenas?
4: Yeah, I would say um, a lot of times, people look at Penn and they'll think, "Oh, it's a bunch of nerds on a team." And even though it's Ivy League, so the standard is a little bit higher than some other schools as far as academically, it's ballers on the team. Like it's 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 kids who you know live and die by basketball, you know, and they happen to also be some pretty good students. So, listen, Roka, before, before you before you go, I just want to to your point. Like we talk about Michael Jordan, I love Michael Jordan at Penn.
0: Yeah. Michael you know, no Jordan was no yeah.
4: joke. Yeah, Michael Jordan Penn was a great dude. Um, great player, too. So I think that's kind of like a misconception, is that like we'll play this past year, we played Alabama, beat them. We played, it's like uh they call them like gimme games for the other teams. Like they pay us money to go there and we'll upset them. We beat Alabama, we beat Providence. Last year we beat Villanova. Um and so it, they're competitive dudes on the team. I've actually had certain issues almost discipline-wise with some of the players at Penn, and uh, I want to bring this up in a, in a second with um, with another question, but I want to stay on topic for now in that I think I noticed the main difference with Temp- when I was with Temple Football, when Al, Al Golden was the head coach between 2007 to 2009, and I was just starting my strength and conditioning career as a grad assistant, and there was a certain – like he he had he had to set certain standards for them. I used to have to go and do bed check at night to make sure guys weren't out while and out. I used to have to do breakfast check to make sure players were eating their meals. And there were certain players that didn't go I guess they didn't um all the way buy into his system and they eventually got let go. And one of them is someone I still talk to to this day, and he he spent many years in the NFL. Um, so I, I think I noticed the main difference there on the football side of things um, with, I think sometimes there's a certain, with certain athletes, there might be a, a, a lack of coachability and a certain level of entitlement. And it's, it's our job as coaches to try to, what I've tried to learn is to try to have autonomy within bounds. So I have rules and I have standards but when it comes to certain things in in particular like in the weight room is I'll try to I'll try to more recently as I've grown as a coach I've tried to get a little bit of their feedback it's not like hey we're going to do everything 100% your way but hey what what are some what are some ideas that you have you're the one who's out on the court you're the one who has to take care of your body you know do you like doing a trap bar deadlift better than a conventional or do you like safety bar squat or um sometimes I'll get their input on certain certain exercises Um, but one of the things I think with Mike is he also he he was a jerk a lot of times but you also seen him joking around a lot with his teammates and I think part of the culture even in basketball particularly basketball is like they talk trash constantly to each other and it's almost like it's just big brother little brother like it's it's just part of how it is um constantly getting on one another and I see that when I'm watching this documentary as far as that's how he was behind the scenes all the time. Even when they're on the plane uh, playing cards, even when they're back in the uh, training room getting the ankle tape, um, whatever they're doing, it seemed like he was always busting on his teammates in kind of a in kind of a a loving type of way, like they were just joking around, um, and it was kind of that's how it was perceived. So thanks for letting me uh, spit on that topic, but I didn't know anyone's thoughts on the Scottie Pippen stuff. Um, maybe that's just how Mike portrayed it, but when he didn't want to go in the game, um, when the play wasn't drawn up for him as a coach, I've had certain times where athlete, like athletes basically said like, no, I'm not doing what you're telling me in the weight room and have had to, to get into some verbal, um, confrontations at times in my career, not many, but there's been a few and just what, like feeling for Phil on, on that Phil Jackson, as far as like that, that's a, that's a tough spot to put a coach Yeah, and, and I wasn't feeling that, but at the same time, it's, it's Michael's narrative. And it does seem like there's a little bit of a bad spin on Scotty. Like, Oh, he was selfish for only making 2 million when he's one of the best players in the NBA. When Michael's making 30 is easy for him to say. So yeah. I don't know if anyone had any thoughts there.
0: I, I think you made some, some, some great points. I, I think, um, when we talk about, you know, the humor aspect of Mike it's I, I looked, I saw it completely different. I looked at it as bully, right? I looked at it as a, a form of bullying.
3: That goes
4: on, that goes on though, a lot in sports. Yeah. Yeah. It goes on And it's not, I don't think it's a good thing though. It's, yeah. It's part of this accepted culture because we're winning, but it's not a good thing. I've seen, it happens with seniors and freshmen yeah it's like it's 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 like basically hazing in a certain sense
0: yeah and it's one of those things in a winning locker room right it's you can take it it happens but if they weren't winning people would have got shipped out of there left and right I, you know I was that little uh small portion they did on Scott Burrell and you know his friends came to visit him and the, the two white guys came to visit him and he was what you know you know you came to see this guy. And it was just like calling him a hoe and, and all of these different things. And Scott Burrell's response to it wasn't one that appeared like it was just joking. Right. Because his body language was showing what it was like. So I just thought it was, you know, when we talk about the, the humor aspect. Yes, it could be a way to diffuse, um, but it also could be a way of keeping this, you know, this tension that exists, keeping it going. Um, when we talk about the Scottie Pippen thing. I think we talk about, you know, you brought up effective leadership, right? And what a, being a, an effective leader looks like. And in that moment, that wasn't it. On that type of stage, he didn't show what being a, an effective leader of men looked like. It, it, I can't say I blamed him. I, cause you call a play for this, this foreigner who we torched in the, uh, and for those who don't know, uh Scotty Pippen, and I didn't know this until yesterday. For those who don't know, it was uh what was that like the 95 playoffs, something like that? They were playing against Orlando and 94, 95 playoffs, one of them. They were playing against um, I believe it was Orlando, and Phil Jackson called the play for Tony Kukoc. And Scotty's the man, Jordan is gone. And <laughs> Scotty said, Fuck, I ain't going in there. It's just like, whoa, I like I sat and
4: watched that. I said no. I swear I didn't know that happened. You neither. And you know, Ku coach's son went to Penn, so I I trained him for a year or so. He got injured. Wow. Something happened. He was already injured, and then it was like a year and a half. But his his son went to Penn. He he was on a basketball team. Yeah, That's
0: crazy. Yeah. Yes. And and, and, and Kukoc hit the game winning shot, and Scotty had to you know uh, apologize yeah. to his teammates, and it had it, it was a learning experience to him for sure. But yeah, no, that was go ahead.
3: I wanted to say, I think it's something beautiful about what Bill Cartwright was willing to say, right? Like he went in there, this is the same, and I think they did a great job with the documentary if you're talking about telling the story. You take Bill Cartwright who also said, I was gonna, I would end his career if he would ever treat me in that way, talking about Jordan. But in this situation where you, last thing you wanna do is show your teammates that you're quitting and then to quit on them is a completely different thing. It's one thing to walk out of practice pissed off, right? It's whole nothing to be in the last seconds of a game and the whole city knows you're the best player and the coach wants to use you as a decoy, but you can't get your way out of your ego. That's a whole different type of level of quitting. But Cartwright came in after it was done. I think, you know, I don't, think, I don't know if they would have won, he would have did this differently. But he came in and he started crying, he said. And he preached to Pippen how much we need you. And then Pippen broke down. Yeah. Those are the stories we don't hear enough of. We don't dwell enough on. We don't sit enough on. I thought that was the most beautiful moment I've probably seen yesterday. Or probably, I'll say probably almost all the whole documentary, to be honest. Because yeah. I'm a, I'm a fan of, you know, like, take the mask off sometimes. It's too heavy. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so here a car comes in and says, and then Pippin, they have this moment where Pippin never would do that again. And that's why Bill Cartwright was able to be assistant coach in those last three championships, because he had earned such a camaraderie and respect from these players. And and probably some way, they needed him to calm Jordan down at certain points anyway. But I thought that was beautiful.
1: Now, yeah. so just to piggyback off of that, right, um, that particular season, right, Scottie Pippen was the man all season, right? So you know that saying of you know one one moment can define you, right? And it's unfortunate for Scottie Pippen because I remember that season. I don't remember the moment, right? I think I think we all kind of are, we we were fans, so we weren't privy to that moment or or the um, the details of that moment. We'll say we might have because I think that I think the announcer said like, "Oh, Scottie's not on the floor," and that's it, right? Um, but Scotty was killing for that whole year, and and unfortunately he was just defined by that one moment. Um, but you know the saying where where they say like you know where do where do you stand in the moments of, uh, uh was it conflict or I'm I'm probably butchering the I'm butchering the phrase right, but Scotty knew he was wrong, right? Yeah. So in that moment. Or the the moment when he had a chance to, he apologized to his team. There was some humility, right? Um, and that's the thing that you know, all of us, right? None of us are none of us are are, are perfection. We're all in the process of being perfected, right? Um, so when you're at a moment when you when you've been called out, when you've been critiqued, when you've been you're in this position of power, and somebody says, Okay, Scottie Pippen, you were wrong. XYZ you know, Cabiner, you were wrong, X, Y, Z. What's your response to that? You know what I mean? And when we look at Michael Jordan and his leadership style, like it's like the moment that you get called out on something, you fight back out, almost like out of your brokenness. You know what I mean? Like you, you, he, he wants to get you back as opposed to just taking the critique, right? So now we're still talking about his leadership style, his, you know, whatever, right? We're still talking about that. Where do you stand the moment that somebody, and and whether it's somebody on equal, you know, a counterpart to you, whatever, whatever, but whenever Michael Jordan ever got, like, critiqued or, you know, some type of something, it's always like, no i challenge you i remember i saw this interview i saw this interview you know with kobe um i think he did it with stephen jackson or whatever and um and the other guy uh they had like a podcast and they had kobe on there like right, right barnes
3: man barnes right there.
1: yep and they were talking about you know because that's just always kind of like the thing that kobe always heard like oh yeah yeah the second coming of michael jordan you're michael jordan you know too da, 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 da. and Kobe was very, very clear. He was like, Oh, no, no, no. The distinction between me and Mike is Mike's just like a maniac competitive, no matter the arena. Like with Kobe, it was just like, Okay, on the court, I'm XYZ, da 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 da. But Mike was just like insane, competitive dude. All right, let's bet on golf. Oh. Let's bet on like they showed the scene where he was like pitching quarters. Oh, let's bet on pitching like what? What's going on here? You know what I mean? Um and I just don't know. I don't know like when we saw Mike get critiqued or get challenged or get, you know, um in those moments when it was like, "Well, Mike, nah, you might have you might have you might have been wrong on this one, Mike." You know what I mean? His response, I'm just not a fan of. Like he you I don't think that I could I don't think I've ever seen Mike in a moment of like vulnerability, humility. I don't think these are things that Mike even has in his character. Like, I can't think of a moment where I'm just, I just look at Mike and I'm like, oh, okay. You,
0: you know what? I, I think when,
1: you know, I think with his dad. Is that
3: narcissism?
1: With I, his I, dad. With his yeah, dad. Yeah, a narcissist. A narcissist. Right, uh, with the exception of that, can you think of another? I'm, I mean, maybe I'm, I'm just not, can't remember it, but I can't,
2: why? Why do we have an expectation for everybody to heal?
0: Yeah.
2: I just want to throw that wow, out there. You got
5: it. Yeah,
0: yeah wow. come on. Mike. Yeah, that's, that's that magic. Wow, there we go.
2: It's just, uh, and I think this is <laughs> wow. this is something we have got going on with our with all of our community. Oh, yeah, yes, man. Write that down. Write that down. <laughs> I just right. wrote, it. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote it down. But seriously, like that's we that's shouldn't perfect. expect everybody to get better. Right. And and like, guess what? Like that brokenness, that common of is probably where that fire came from. Right. That's what fueled him. And I think sometimes the things that can be seen as negative or almost controversial are the things that are strengths at other times. Right. Because listen, like like I'll use myself as a reference, like when I was strung out on drugs. Right and doing whatever I had to do to get through, to get through the day, it gave me a certain skill set to survive. Right. And I developed a certain set of skills in a really tough scenario that I still use on a given day. Right. That, that need to like rely on myself and get through and get like forward was grown out of something that would be looked at as negative, but it's still a part of my person today that allows me to succeed. Do you know what I mean? So we can't we can't we can't lift someone up for their greatness and then also bring them down and be like, ah, but you could have been a little softer and nicer sometimes. Yeah. You know,
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all of this is definitely in in hindsight. And I brought this up like in, in my post, like Michael Jordan is the antithesis of what we want our children to be mm-hmm. right. And what we teach our children, everything that we, we do, you know, to be kind to others and, and all of these things. This is what we tell our, our children not to be. Do not be like Michael Jordan in that in that capacity. Yeah. No, we we do have this expectation, especially in 2020, where everybody is. And that's why I hate that narrative of of everybody is bit, is broken. Right. Like I because it, it comes from a deficit perspective. And, you know, yeah, Mike Mike has his flaws and that but he's human. He's fallible. And that's what I, I try to bring to the forefront and try to remember that he is a, he's a human being at the end of the day. And his journey is completely different and what it takes for him to get to that point. And now he can be one of those, those figures again, you know, that we look at and say, listen, here are some positive characteristics, but here are some some unhealthy characteristics that you do not want Um, because it doesn't serve you. It might serve you in the in the sports arena but it might it's probably not going to serve you outside of that and regardless you have to step outside of that that sports arena at some point right and and it had me bringing up this this idea of where was Juanita Jordan Mm
3: -hmm. in this
0: this entire
1: documentary you know, I ain't that I, crazy? That's crazy. Like, That's crazy when you think about that. Like, what no, she get? one mention, I think I heard. I don't <laughs> even think there was a mention. Yeah,
0: I <laughs> saw her on stage with him when he retired, but that was it.
3: <laughs> Their marriage was a business plan. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> I'm be sorry about it. Ain't nothing to be sorry. That,
1: I think it's,
3: that, yo, know, she, she, I don't know what this, I remember hearing the stories as a kid, but you know, I don't want to go too far off the topic. Yeah. I, I do recall her being like, I was sticking it out. I think she did an interview with Oprah. Maybe she might have did an interview with Oprah back then. And um, I think she had, she had just talked about like, yo, you know, I, I promise to stay for the kids and get through this, but I can imagine he was so obsessed over basketball. I don't think he could succeed on winning that marriage at that point. Not in that point in his life. I mean, yeah. his wife was basketball. His His wife was the game. He, I mean, he he could be one person in another arena and then go outside with the cameras and be like, let's get these endorsements, you know? Um, Who knows, he might be doing good at his second or third marriage, whatever, which one he's on. You know, but I think um to a lot of points is, you know, none of us, yo, and it's a lot of pressure on being humans, especially in like this time of PC, which comes around like every 20, 25 years. Um, you know, it's a lot of pressure on human beings where we are already big brothering ourselves. We are the all watching eye now. We are all judging each other. And it is extremely an unhealthy situation for a lot of us to be engaging with social media, to be, you know, waiting. Some people are just watching, you know, wait. Some anxiety attacks come from people's fear of judgment. They know what's coming eventually. Some people never express themselves because this is constant, open channel to judging people, especially online. So, you know, we've seen a lot of young people suffer from that, a lot of college students, a lot of professional adults. It is really, really challenging and to see him get through that and be resilient with all that stuff in his face, you know, I know there's there's something with him you just like, yo, just give me that, that part, though. like the ability to block things out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? like, So there is some good here, but then there's some stuff we can take and we can say, we may not have to throw it away, but you know, pick it apart and say, okay, if I'm in that situation, how do I respond differently, right? If I feel disrespected, or if I feel like somebody is not giving their all, how do I change my approach and my response to that moment? And maybe that's what this just is for all of us, is trying to figure out how to be the best human beings we can when we're put in certain dynamics, certain scenarios, and and move on from there. Because, you know, picking apart the past, you know, trying to create a better future is you know, how much how further can we get
0: yeah yeah no I, I I completely agree it's a teachable moment it's a teachable moment and to the point of of you know the impact of of social media when I did the the hashtag you give me group last Wednesday with regards to Ahmaud Arbery the it was a young kid in there, about you know 18 and you know he was a basketball player in Florida I didn't know who he was and so I guess his coach was on there he's like yo he was the the best uh Mr. basketball in the state of Florida. So I'm like, what, I go Google him. You know what I mean? I'm like, yo, this this really that kid, you know what I mean, going to Central Florida what what have you. And that was the advice, right? And and he seemed to understand the pitfalls that social media uh can cause, right? And how that not only can can influence his his, you know, his 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 mental and emotional wellness, but just how difficult it can make his life trying to navigate it is as being someone who's, I mean, listen, he's a celebrity, right? He's a celebrity in that aspect because he is a, you know, a sportsman. And so that's what makes me look at LeBron even more and say, bruh, I have no idea how you did this, right? Like you were here for the, the start of all of this, right? You, I remember watching his high school games in my dorm room. Um, Carmelo, Kamar- Carmelo Anthony, too, to a certain extent, but definitely LeBron, and just and that's why when we talk about, you know, it's hard to live up to expectations, let alone exceed them. Right. And so I, I think with LeBron, and this is why I give him so much credit, because he does have that that ability to understand the impact of, of social media. He does have this this uh this level of of consciousness that Mike never seemed to have. Especially, well, in public, he never seemed to have it for, for whatever reason to maintain his pristine image or what have you. So I, I think what I also come away with watching this documentary is just like, yo, LeBron, <laughs> like, yo, you really that dude. You really that dude. And I don't think he gets enough credit with regards to that.
4: Let me speak on something, Phil. Um, I right. think with all of this, we're talking about like, you know, Jordan and, and healing and brokenness and, and mental health. Um, I think I'm, I'm not necessarily a mental health expert, but what I do see here is an uncanny ability to interchannel channel his focus like no other athlete I've ever seen ever. And there wasn't social media, but there was, you saw, you saw like the line of reporters everywhere he went, people crowding the hotel. I mean, just think you wake up in the morning, you go down to get breakfast in the hotel and there's swarms of people trying to get your autograph. You never ha- even when he was crying about his dad, he was on the ground crying after winning the championship. And there's reporters there filming him crying. And I, th- I do think that's heightened with social media. I think it would be even worse now. But he was able to weather that and still, to, in my opinion, his mental toughness or mental performance is uncanny, is crazy. How even how focused he would be. And then after losing, like even I know myself. I lose, and I'm like – it gets in my head. I'm like, okay, this is a spiral that's going to lead to worse performance. For him, it was like, okay, B.J. Armstrong made a shot. All right, I'm going to drop 37 in the first half of the next game. All right, we lost one game. All right, I'm going to go off the next game. And he would all the time. Like, his – like, he has the it. Yeah, that that resilience. He doesn't quite have, and that's what really separates him, in my opinion. And I don't want to get into the whole discussion on that. But his mental – toughness in that regard or i don't i want i don't know if it's mental it's probably not mental health it's mental toughness in the moment for sports is better than anyone i've ever seen
0: yeah i I think what what you're identifying is is both the gift and the curse right a gift and a curse that that emotional that ability to to disconnect when necessary right and and to still perform um again missing the last shot some people might you know might hold on to that for a long time so he'd have resilience in that aspect but how did it hinder him outside of that and and his ability to connect with others on an emotional on an emotional in a healthy emotional level so i think for him it was like a gift and a curse because it aided him and being able to bounce back or to conjure up false stories about what's LeBrad for smith or something like that like (laughs) just lying (laughs) you know what i mean and so yeah. It's, you know, it's such a, you know, he's such an interesting and and polarizing figure. Um, you know, I'm interested to see, you know, I know they had they a camera crew followed Kobe around for his last year. And so I'm interested to see what that looks like, because that does bring in social media that does bring in a whole lot of other dynamics and factors that weren't necessarily present um, with Mike. And then I'm sure LeBron, going he probably got a camera crew, all you know, all the time with them so i i think it's interesting it's coming up on nine fifteen. um i guess i want to go go make man. this sound.
5: i just uh, michael i wanted to respond to to why do we why do we have an expectation that folks have to heal and i think two a couple of things came up one on a spiritual level on a metaphysical level i think that's the goal right i think that that that's that's something that's, that we're, we're, we're working on from, from another level. I think on an existential level, that not healing is a, th- you know what I mean? Not healing is a threat. And I'm, I'm hoping what you were getting at was, why do we have to cancel somebody who hasn't gotten to the point where they're trying to heal? You know what I mean? And why aren't, why isn't our response something that is restorative? you know what i mean why do we have to dismiss them or chop them up and why can't we see the foot like you said why can't we see this person who hasn't gone towards healing you know what i
2: mean <laughs> all, yeah. right, all right all right and no what, no no,
0: you're fine zane, zane you're fine i promise you
2: and what does trying to heal look like too like we right. have we have these conceptions that trying to heal has to be this this zero to a hundred, like you have to be overhauling your personhood. You've got to be changing your identity. You've got to be becoming that person you want to be. But sometimes trying to heal is very small, but it's still a movement. Right. So that's one
1: thing I'm, I'm, I'm big into the power of questions, Mike. So what was, it seemed like, so you made that, you asked that question. What were you trying to get at? What was like the point of, of like, it's a very powerful
2: question. I, I just, I think there's a certain duality that exists in our society right now where we have an expectation for everybody to be pursuing health and wellness and goodness. And these are all loaded terms that are so complex and dependent, like what Greg brought up earlier about language being dependent on culture. It's such loaded phrases that when we're constantly talking about healing And fixing ourselves, it's always, it's results driven. We need to see the change. We have to see you become that better person. But that isn't what healing always looks like. Sometimes we don't see our healing until years later, and be like, "Wow, I was healing back then." Do you know what I mean? So I I just that's why I brought up because it's a lot of like, where's your results? Yeah, and, and why don't you want to heal? (laughs) Right, like that, those kind of questions.
0: Yeah, and 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 when you say, "Why don't you want to heal?" It makes me think of just that idea of you don't know what it's going to take from me in order to heal, right? In order to to get to this point uh, of of where I'm. at a place where we're quote unquote healed. You know, we're talking about bringing up uh, various traumas that we've experienced throughout our lives. Like it's a difficult process. Like what we ask people to do in 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 a uh, hundred and twenty character tweet or in an Instagram meme or on a Facebook post is super easy. Right. It's super easy. But nobody nobody really wants to understand what it truly means to put in that work to heal because it might not be pretty. Right. It it might look like some violence towards other people. Right. Because we're talking about bringing up raw emotions. We're talking about just bringing up different things. So, yeah, it's easy to say we want the tangible um, the you know, the, the tangible strategies to heal. You know, we want the self-care. We want the therapy. But nobody knows what that first session is like, you know what I mean? We don't. People don't really care about that. So uh, again, it's become trendy. It's become cliche. This idea of, uh, although necessary, see, this is you know the double talk, you know what I mean? But because it is necessary, because when you see it in yourself, and you could potentially see it for somebody else, and and how they could benefit from it, how much greater their lives can be. But then there we go, we're projecting and putting our expectations onto others. And so we just need to mind our damn business <laughs>
2: when, it, when it comes it is, to it. it is necessary though, to a certain degree. I just think sometimes we need to remember that defense mechanisms ca- defense mechanisms carry people through trauma. So when we're always trying to remove them and being like, come on, it's time to heal. They might still need those defense mechanisms to navigate life, and it's okay to still have somewhat maladaptive defense mechanisms in our lives, man. Yeah,
0: you know what? You bring up a great point, right? Uh, I saw this. Like with-
2: watching you. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> that again, Michael? Say that one more time. You got rich right, thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> the, about
2: sometimes we may <laughs> need the word that not- you uh, maladaptive defense mechanisms.
1: Okay. Yeah, I, I don't like That's call, good I, do. I, don't, <laughs> I
2: don't like using loaded terms like bad or negative. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. It's a social work thing, man. Yeah. Social work I,
1: thing. Y'all got it. I was just sitting here like, Mala, how you spell that?
0: <laughs> no, but it, it brings up a it brings up a great point. Cause I mean, let's look no further than addiction. When the world was going wild when they when they made uh the beer distributor an essential an essential business, it's just like no, nah, in order for some people to survive, they have to drink beer every day, right? They have to drink 10 beers. They can't just go cold turkey. If they go cold turkey, they'll die. Right. And so it, when we talk about this idea of maintaining these defense mechanisms until we could slowly start integrating in some some other skills. But in the meantime, keep that up. Mm-hmm. Right. Keep that up. You know, yeah, we look at it as if you're hurting yourself. But ultimately, we need you to be around here in order to get you to the point of whether it's recovery or healing or what have you. We need you around, right? Is this turning into a weed commercial. Is this a commercial about weed? No, it's not weed. But yeah, let me know, I got some here. I got some weed. Let, let, let me know. Uh, no, listen, brothers. I I appreciate you all uh, for for tuning in. Uh, wait, what's this? Let me put Troy Love comment up. Cool. Why does everyone have an expectation to try to heal? You have to see resilience as a skill or strength to go towards resilience, to acknowledge internal discomfort without setting off defense mechanisms.
5: That's my cousin.
0: Oh, word. All right. Uh, shout uh, out Shout out to Troy. Yeah, I, I see. It was kind of wordy like you, Zane. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, no. Nah. It's like, no, nah, not. I appreciate it, man. I appreciate you brothers coming coming through for this i'm a little tired so y'all held me down during this um for those who are watching i want you to tune in tomorrow tomorrow i will have pennsylvania state representative state representative joanna mcclinton on and we're gonna have this conversation <laughs> man you know I'll, i don't pull no punches i'll say what i gotta say right i want to understand what's the purpose of black folk voting Right. I want to understand why I shouldn't go semi dissident or full dissident. I want to understand a lot of these things. You going so,
1: politics now? What's going on, fam? What politics?
0: Jay said is politics as usual. Wow, man. You know what I mean? It's, again, it's bigger than Nino Brown. So I'm going to try to be, uh, you know, I'm going a, I'm to a try, I'm going to answer, I'm going to ask some questions about the new mail in voting and all of that. But I want to get to the point, man, of what's the purpose? If what's the point of all this? You know what I mean. So make sure y'all tune in t- tomorrow at 8 p.m. Any any party so, words. So will you mo-
5: vote on a donation basis? Like if if I, if I donate to qualify, will you vote? Is like what's the what's the number? You trying to get him to vote. Yo,
1: he brought
0: it yeah. I mean, I mean, since you see, this is where I wish I had Umar, man. You know what I mean. I could bring <laughs> him up, but I, you know, I'll put the ticker across if anybody want to donate to the show oh. <laughs> or YouTube vote.
5: For you to vote.
0: For me to vote. I can't make no guarantees, brother. Nothing in life is guaranteed, yeah. but but death, you know? And we got some brothers yeah. on here. We got a chance, and we got to believe in Stephen. They might <laughs> tell you it's a guarantee on the other side. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> hey. so no, before I get out, if, you know, if y'all Winter Brothers want to tell how they all can be contacted, give out your socials, what have you. I, I guess I'll start with Zane <laughs> out of socials. Steve, go ahead, Steve.
4: <laughs> give out your... Uh, yeah. Pretty much everything is at Believe in Steven. So it's like believing with no G and then Steven with the PH. Um, believe in Steven. So if you if you know how to spell, you should be good. I know I believe <laughs> believing is one of those words people mess up a lot,
1: though.
4: <laughs> I what E, except after
0: C, something, yeah, something, it. neighboring yeah. way. Yeah, I got it. Quick, Go Greg. You want to get your info?
3: Yeah, yeah. Y'all can just reach me. Uh, Greg Corbin speaks G-R-E-G-C-O-R-B-I-N speaks S-P-E-A-K-S. And that's at Gmail and also my website, com, as well as on IG. Um, this was fun. No doubt, no doubt. What about you, Cup? So
1: everything is all Green District Media, Green District Media, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Green District Media website. Check out the work there. Uh, yeah.
0: It's on you. My, now, Mike, I know your name. I-
2: Yeah, no, but I I don't really have a social media presence, man. I got an Instagram, but I'm really just in here because I appreciate people coming together for conversation that means something that has substance and that's working towards something simple as that.
0: Yeah. And as always with me, you can hit me up, Phil underscore Roundtree. Go buy the merch, Quantify LLC. That's Q as in quail, U-A-D as in dog, dot net. Um, shout out to, you know, pandemic unemployment coming through. They I needed all of that. So, um, you know, so my mortgage.